Brene Brown said, courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. Welcome to the Tweets and Tonic podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Asbury. Political hot topics are intertwined in every aspect of our lives, from your streaming channels to your favorite sports teams and even in your pulpits. If you are looking for cultural commentary on those infamous 280 characters brought to you by the Little Blue Bird, pour yourself a drink because this is the podcast for you. The way our show works is that we will take 10 tweets and break them down and share our thoughts and opinions. Y'all are seriously in for a treat today. My friend Joey Hodges is on the podcast today. Joey is an author and certified life coach who is obsessed with living and working on purpose. After experiencing a devastating bout of burnout that led to a breakdown that inspired her to sell her first company, Joey has dedicated her career to helping others purposefully design their lives and businesses to protect their well-being, productivity, and joy with systems, processes, and boundaries. Be sure to check out Joey's website, joeyhodgeswrites.com, and her podcast, Joyful by Design. You can also find Joey on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at HeyJoeyHodges. Without further ado, please catch my conversation with my great friend, Joey Hodges. All right, Joey, welcome to the Tweets and Tonic podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So today we're going to talk about something that we've been talking about in our personal lives, but it's the whole topic of feeling known and seen in the world and what it feels like to be put in a bubble that doesn't feel exactly true to who you are. And then mm-hmm. we want to finish up talking about what has value in the eyes of the world. So that's kind of yes. the framing of the episode. So we're going to kick it off with a question that you don't know about. Um, (laughs) as the listener, so it's my favorite part. Um, no, just to kind of set the stage, the episode is called how to truly be seen as you want in 2020. Mm -hmm. So to kick it off, how do you want to be seen in 2020? Oh, that is a good question, which I know is your favorite response to get. Um, but it's actually something I've been thinking a lot about, um, something that a lot of people, well, if they hang out on my like side of the internet, they know this, but, um, something unique about me is my husband and I met when we were 13 and I have a yearbook, um, like inscription, I suppose. Like, you know, when you write it in everybody's yearbook at the end of the year, uh, the year before we started dating. So we started dating our senior year. Um, so the end of junior year, he wrote something in my yearbook that basically said that like, I was the kindest person he had ever known and to never change because, (laughs) and to like love who I am because everyone else does. And that all sounds really cheesy and all of that. But as crazy as it sounds like back in high school and until life started to kind of weather me, I really was just like this happy go lucky, always showed up with, you know, sunshine and positivity. And it wasn't an effort I was making. It was just who I was in my core, you know? And life, you know, gets really hard (laughs) as you become a grown up. And Jonathan and I have been very lucky that we've continued to um, evolve and change together. But we are both very different people now than we were when we got together. And I am most certainly uh, not rainbows and butterflies most of the time anymore, as much as I want to be. And 
I have been doing a lot of thinking, this is morbid, but it's just how my mind works. Um, like what people would say about me if I like suddenly wasn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know that in eulogy, people tend to get really, you know, they wane poetic, right? right? And I really don't want that to be the case. I want it to be truth. If, you know, if someone says something bad about me, right? Mm-hmm. I want the person that person is saying it to, to know it's not true. Yeah. And I do my best to show up that way in life in general. And I think I've done a good job of that, but I certainly could be making a better effort to just really show up joyfully, which I guess is very on brand for me right now. Um, But I want to be seen as the person who someone can always rely on for like a positive spin on anything they've got going on. Um, So that's kind of how I would like to show up in this year. I want to be someone people can see and know to be true. Yeah. I could see that. Um, you know, I think I just want people to see me as, um, authentic, whether that's good Mm -hmm. or bad or ugly or amazing or whatever. Um, I just want to be authentic. I am just really sick of like the whole idea of like, you know, influencers and they always want to look a certain way on Instagram or, you know, they love this. They, you know, everything's amazing. And, that's just not true. And I think all it does is alienate people and, um, push them away. So I just want to be authentic to where you always kind of know where I'm at with things. Um, I have a really hard time hiding my facial expressions anyway, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) might have been accused of rolling my eyes once or twice in a meeting a while back, but, um, (laughs) you and a friend of ours. Yeah. So I just, but that's just raw, you know, and I'd rather be authentic even when it's not packaged up with a nice bow than to be something I'm not. Yeah. Um, and I think this whole influencer culture really puts so much pressure on people to be inauthentic. I don't even know if that's a word, but um, it is. I just think that that pushes this narrative that we need to look a certain way just so we can promote something. And I'm just not looking to do that. Um, yeah, that's not really who I am. It's interesting you say that because the, I don't think I'm like Miss Negative Nancy or anything like that, but I've certainly taken like a darker spin on my life the last several years, just as things have gotten hard. And it's interesting because in, I do like these life audits at the end of the year and I'm constantly journaling and I actually felt pressure to show up in that way because it's relatable. Yeah. It's relatable to complain. It's relatable to, you know, be dissatisfied with something. Um, you know, I think about like how I show up on Twitter and, you know, you go back through my tweets over the last 10 years and 99% of them are like, this went wrong. Am I right? Like, uh, I, I don't want to show up like that. And it's funny how in the influencer culture, it is both, both things are expected. You yeah. have to show things in one, you know, if someone tells me one more product is amazing, oh, I'm out the window. Like I've unfollowed yeah. so many influencers because I can't trust what they're saying anymore. Yep. Um, and I'm part of like the initial blogging boom before influencers were a term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that I could trust the websites that I was reading. These people were my internet friends. And if they told me to 
go try a certain mascara, I did because it yeah. worked for them. And I really believed that it did. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading an article the other day um, and I'm probably butchering this name, but Dave Orsillo, mm -hmm. um, he wrote an article about being seen and why it's scary and how being seen means kind of taking ownership of your life. So he had a quote in this article where he said, being seen means something comes next. Being seen means there's nowhere to hide. Being seen means you own your own words and actions online and off. And being seen means being responsible to yourself and to those around you. Being seen means committing. Being seen can be a terrifying thought. So um, that's kind of the theme of this episode about being seen. But what does being seen or known actually mean to you? Um, well, I don't think they're the same thing, if that helps. Yeah, that, that was my um, question, so, yeah. <laughs> I, do th I don't think they're the same thing, and I do think there's a difference between being seen and being known, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad difference. Okay. Um, I think being seen is essentially the first step to becoming known. And if you're showing up and being seen in a way that's true to your core values and integrity, kind of like we were just talking about, mm -hmm. then it's the perfect gateway to becoming really known, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, one of the other things he went on to say was that being seen means there's nowhere to hide and it means um, being responsible to yourself and to those around you and being committed. Um, he used the example in this article, which made me think of you actually, because it talked about yoga, but, uh, <laughs> he talked about, you know, you go to a yoga class and you're brand new. You've never been, this would be like if I went to a yoga class, never done mm -hmm. anything yoga related. So if I went and I showed up, I could see the sense of maybe being a little frightened of like, what do I do? I don't want to be embarrassed. These people look like they know what they're doing. They're going to make fun of me, that whole thing. But he was bringing up the point that it means coming back to that yoga class the next week um, or writing that book that you say you really want to write. Not that I'm calling anybody out, but, um, <laughs> but I think that there's a lot of truth to that, that it really is. It takes an act of courage to truly want to be seen. Um, I agree. So do you think though that we choose sometimes to remain unseen because it's more comfortable? Oh, a hundred percent for sure. Um, but I would, I would disagree that being seen means that there's nowhere to be hide. Um, at least in today's society, kind of like what we were just talking about with everything revolving so heavily around social media. I think that's what really complicates everything is why so many people are starting to question like what is real and what isn't because you can absolutely still be seen and yeah. still hide behind, oh, you know, yeah. closed doors or behind a computer screen behind filters. Yeah. Um, but I would agree that showing up can also mean committing. And that's something I've struggled a lot with this last year and a half. Um, I kind of self get like gun shy when it came to making bold statements because I'm the kind of person that if I say I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm going to, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I hold myself to a really high standard when it comes to that. And I really don't like being disappointed by people. Um, I take such issue with people saying one thing and then doing something completely different mm -hmm. and not holding up their end of the deal. So 
I make sure I show up if I say I'm going to, but lately I've been afraid to do that. Uh, so in a way, I haven't really allowed myself to be seen like that. And in turn, I really haven't allowed myself to, to make those commitments or to be held accountable. Um, yeah, I think when you said that there, you know, there is a difference between being seen and being known, I think that is the difference, that you can choose to be seen however you want. You can make that narrative, you know. Um, if you want to come across like this bubbly person that has everything together, you can do that. But mm -hmm. to be truly known, the people that really know you are going to know that's not true. Yes, and it's about making those two things be congruent with the other. Like for me, being known is like feeling understood. And right now in the season of my life that I'm in right now, I hold that as such a high priority. Um, and it's causing me to kind of like reevaluate how I'm showing up in the world and how I'm being seen. Mm -hmm. And also sifting through the people in my life to determine who truly knows me and who doesn't. And that process can be quite sobering and enlightening, but it can also be kind of painful. Um, yeah. I think ultimately it's good. And I think it's important to kind of take stock of how you want to be known and how you want to be seen and making sure your behavior aligns, but yeah. that it's not an act, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, there's that old quote or maybe a scripture. I'm not sure. Um, the whole thing about what's done in the dark can always be seen in the light. And yes. I think, I think there's so much truth to that in every situation because, you know, you can put on a facade and try to not be known and that's possible, but in the end, it's all going to come to light. So no matter mm -hmm. what you claim you want to be seen as in the end, your real self will come out. Yes. Um, but I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm not the same person I've always been. No, I don't think anybody is. I think there's a lot of people who pretend that they are, but, yes. um, you know, there's an old country song by Toby Keith. Um, it's called as good as I once was. And this is just part of the chorus, but it says, I ain't as good as I once was. I got a few years on me now. I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. And it's about a whole lot of things, but I think there's a good point to that. Like, like you said, life, life changes you, you know, mm -hmm. it can bring darkness. It can bring light. It can do a lot of things, but we're not the same people that we used to be, but especially when it comes to people you've known forever, since you were basically a child bride meeting your husband at 13, um, <laughs> marry him at 13, right? 14. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like with people you've been around forever and family and friends and just community, um, there comes this tendency where we think of people as we've always thought of them. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes that can be comforting to know that there's people who know your beginning, your middle, and eventually your end. Um, but they know, they've known you through every phase and every season and stage. And sometimes that really is comforting, but sometimes too, that can be kind of hard because we are always changing and we're growing and especially like I think of it with my college friends, we're all still incredibly close. We talk all day, every day. Um, but we're not around each other like we were in college. We don't live together anymore. Um, we don't get to spend every weekend together going out and doing all those sorts of things. But so we've grown, we've changed, we've matured, we've had kids, we've gotten married, we've done all these things, but 
when we get back together, there's that tendency that we all still play the roles that we played in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, when you feel like others place you in a bubble like that, that you no longer really identify with, um, what motivates you to keep going? And how do you keep yourself grounded in the truth of who you are now? Uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, for your listeners who may not know, uh, my husband and I moved in and hung out with, we're hanging out with my mama, uh, for a little while. We've been back at my mom's house since May of last year, just due to some transition with work and all that kind of stuff. Um, so this has come up quite a bit, not necessarily with my mom, but just like being back in my hometown, being back, you know, back with people I've gone to high school with being around family and siblings and obviously like mom's house is home base for everybody. And so family comes and goes, they visit. Um, and when this happens, it gives me kind of like the opportunity to evaluate my situation and my relationships with whomever is continuing to kind of place me in that bubble. And it's in a, it like puts me in a place where I'm forced to ask myself if I can take any responsibility for that situation. Am I being unfair by expecting this person or these people to understand that I no longer fit in that bubble without doing my part to communicate or show that I might be different now and how I might be different. Now, if it's a situation where I have done the work and I've done my part um, and they simply just don't care to do their part to maintain an evolving relationship, then I have a decision to make, you know? as far as keeping myself grounded and feeling motivated to keep going, I simply continue to just ask myself if I'm doing the work. Yeah. If I'm doing what I can to show up in the ways I want to be seen, it's hard to remember that people aren't mind readers. And though we might feel completely different on the inside, we might seem very much the same on the outside. We all have this, you know, the authority over our lives to evolve and to grow and change. And it's important to keep in mind that some relationships are just meant for a season, not forever. Um, And then at the end of the day, I would much prefer to feel the pains of growing and changing than to stay exactly the same. If it means staying, you know, somewhere that I no longer identify with, like if I'm no longer identifying with the qualities that these people are placing on me or, or the uh, pieces of me that fit only within this bubble, um, sometimes that just means having a really hard conversation or making a difficult decision. But I think ultimately first you have to almost kind of give the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that they may not know you're different. Yeah. You know, like you with your college friends, like they sat with you in every moment of your life for a four year period. Mm -hmm. You came home to them at the end of a hard day. You know, you came home after, you know, you met somebody or, you know, when I'm not drinking or whatever it was, you, these are the people that you spoke to. These are the people that you showed up with raw and real makeup off, you know, bra off all those situations. Like you come home and you're comfortable at the end of the day. So they knew you because you were showing up in that way. But now it's a presented version of yourself, right? They are not the ones you're coming home to at the end of the day. And so they may not know these qualities about you that are different. Just like the people in my life who I feel continue to put me back in this bubble, they knew me then, you know? And I've changed leaps and bounds since then. But if I don't allow that to show... Right. And if they don't give me the opportunity to show it, that's a different conversation. But like, 
you have to give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think one thing, I found a tweet from, I don't know this person. Um, her name or her Twitter handle is at the Jada Simone. She tweeted, today someone said to me, I honestly didn't think you were smart enough to be a doctor. And in the not so distant past, I used to believe that. Now I'm reminded of not only who I am, but who has called me to where I am. And I think this is huge. Um, and I did look, she is a doctor now. So um, props to her. Oh, but <laughs> Doctor Jada, excuse me. Yeah. Um, I thought this was really interesting because I think we start to believe a lot of narratives about ourselves that, oh, yeah. that either other people have put on us, we've put on ourselves. Um, but I think that one of the things that caught me was that she said, and in the not so distant past, I used to believe that. And so it was obviously something she, she sort of embraced, whether not in the sense of like a hug embrace, like, oh, this is wonderful, but it was still something she took on. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about that and I thought, what are some of the things that I put on myself that other people see me as, which are not who I want to be? you know? Yeah. And yeah. she said, you I know, have, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say like, I have a whole blog post about this that I wrote a couple of years ago. It's called change your life by changing your story. And it's all about like recognizing the narratives that you continue to cling to about your life that are no longer relevant to who you are or who you want to be. And yeah. some of these narratives you may have put there yourself, some of these narratives other people placed on you before you had the cognitive ability to reject. Yeah. I can't tell you how many things I believed to be true about myself. Some of them good, most of them not so great. Um, based on the things that other people kind of told me to be true. And I mean, as somebody who got bullied in elementary and middle and high school, like that's not fun <laughs> no. to cling on to those narratives. It's very limiting, limiting. And a lot of our limiting beliefs about ourselves come from those narratives. Yeah. Um, when I think about these things, I always think back to when I was in the eighth grade. Um, I have never been a very strong math student, but that year it kind of all came to a head because that's sort of when you go from like pre-algebra to regular algebra and that kind of stuff. So um, I had a teacher who, I mean, just to keep it real, she was a horrible teacher um, mm. and was somebody who got rattled very easily. And um, I was always very social as a child. And so no. I know that part is probably very shocking to the audience. Uh, very shocking. But so I don't think she necessarily liked me a whole ton because I was probably a little disruptive. Um, she also had a daughter that was the same age and we just didn't go in the same circles. And I think that that kind of played into some stuff too. But anyway, one day in class, she called me stupid in front of the whole class. And, um, oh my gosh. You know, it was one of those moments that I'm sure she wished in the moment she could take back, even if she didn't like me. You know, when you just kind of, everything comes to a boil and you just kind of snap. It was that situation. And, um, but she still did it and she still said it in front of my entire class. And um, <laughs> people that know my mom know that um, she did not take that very kindly and swiftly handled the matter. 
And unfortunately, that woman had to find a new job. But um, <laughs> she should have probably teaching wasn't her best decision. But um, from that moment on, though, I think that my math struggles really compounded um, <laughs> because it put a narrative in my mind. I always knew it was a little tough for me, mm. but I was a very confident kid and to this day can be kind of overconfident in a lot of situations, but that's one area that I have always, since that moment, I think felt very insecure and very just lacking. And yeah, I think that it had a lot to do with the narrative she put in my mind in that one split second, you know, isn't that funny how that can happen? Because I, I essentially, this is sad. It's really sad, but I I'm just going to say it. Like I grew up believing I was dumb as dirt, that I was never going to amount to anything, um, that I was kind of a waste of space and that I wasn't good really at anything. Like I danced and I did all these things, but I wasn't good really at any of them. I wasn't the shining star at any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a teacher in uh, my senior year who wasn't my English teacher is my senior English teacher. And I always loved to read and I loved writing stories and I was always very creative. I didn't know I was creative. I just knew I liked these things. Right. And that teacher really nurtured that skill in me. And like we had these things called poetry reactions that he told us on like the first day of class, like they're scored out of 10. Nobody gets a 10 relax if you get an eight or nine that's the best you're gonna do mm-hmm. you know that's just the way this works and the first two I got like an eight or a nine on and then moving and these were things we had to do literally every week and moving on from the third time on I got a 10 every single time and he would just write notes in the margins that were like this isn't a brilliant insight or think using words to describe me that I had never heard in my entire life and I I actually am still friends with this teacher on Facebook. He's a, he's a minister now. Um, but Jonathan and I were in his class together and he really like, he's the reason I majored in English. He's the reason I probably have a book out him and my creative writing teacher, uh, Mrs. Horn. Hi, Mrs. Horn. My teacher, my English teacher was Mr. Davis um, are probably the reasons that I ever wrote a book or ever felt like I had anything in me worth anything because mm-hmm. they nurtured something that nobody else did. And so I allowed myself to cling to that narrative, though there were hundreds of others that told me that I was basically worthless. Um, And it's interesting how just one tiny thing, one insignificant, I mean, I'm sure giving me a 10 on those things meant nothing to him. He probably could care less, but it mattered to me. You know, it's something I think back on often that like he saw that I was using my brain and I was really getting into it. And just as much as you cling to that moment of like the teacher saying something horrible to you and thinking for just a split second, like, could this be true? Yeah. Yeah. And think about all of the things that anybody says to us at any given moment, how often it is and how easy it is to cling to the negative things and forget about all of the the positive things that get said. Right. Yeah. I think about that, but I also think about the things that we say. You know, I think, (laughs) I know that's the part I don't really want to talk about, but, (laughs) but I want to talk about it. I mean, for a second. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that sometimes in marriage, especially like, you know, like you said, life gets tough. And when things are tough, the moments are tense. And that's exactly what happened to that woman. when I was in the eighth grade, 
-hmm. But we say things with this knee-jerk reaction without giving it credence to what, like, critical things it can do to someone else's life you know you can't take them back once they're said you can't take it back and yes because i was a child black child bride as you so called me um <laughs> jonathan and i will be married 10 years this may um and we're in our early 30s so i mean we've been doing this for a minute and when all of my friends started to get married years and years after we did they would always come to me and ask me like for my advice and yep. the, the only thing i would tell them is to fight kindly and productively don't be nasty just because you can be because you can't take it back and that's your spouse yeah like think how hurtful that would be if they said something and you couldn't get it out of your head yeah i mean i think back to that episode of friends where ross makes the list of like the reasons not to be with rachel and she's like think about how it would feel to see that the worst things you believe about yourself not the person you love most in the world, not only believes them to be true also, but uses them as a reason not to be with you. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up, um, celebrity couples. Um, <laughs> so I know you've done, I don't mean to call you out here, but I know okay, you've done good. some extensive research, um, on Miss Selena Gomez. Yes. <laughs> and, um, Selena. And, you know, recognizing growth and is not just saying you've changed. Mm -hmm. And there was a tweet from Samantha Swift. Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez haven't had albums in four years. But when you compare their two lead singles, it's obvious that only one of them showed growth as an artist and matured as a person. <laughs> First of um... all, I don't... <laughs> I don't know Samantha Swift, but she's a Taylor Swift fanatic, so she's already, like, way down on my list. But um, I thought this was interesting because they both obviously have albums coming out this month. Um, and Very excited about Selena's. <laughs> the Beats has already announced his tour. I'm sure Selena will soon. But, you know, recognizing growth is not just saying you've changed. So how do we mm -hmm. show that we've grown and matured? First of all, I've got a lot of questions about this, but how do we show that we've grown and matured to the people who okay. might put us in a bubble that we're no longer comfortable in? Sure. I actually think this is quite simple, but it's not easy. Um, you simply just have to keep showing up in the way you want to be seen. And I'm going to keep saying that, but it's never going to stop being true. <laughs> and not everyone is you know, going to accept it or recognize it or really even understand it. And that's really hard, especially when those people used to be the ones that know and love you. But growth and change are really never easy. But I will say this, that it's always better to show up in integrity, to show up in a way that's congruent with your current core values, regardless of how anyone else is showing up. And that might feel really isolating at first, but if it's important to you, if this change and this growth, you know, really matter to you, then I can promise you it always feels better to show up in that way. Because you have to remember that, like, I don't know, you, you have to remember that, like, people are, I guess, like, creatures of habit. Yeah. And people are creatures of habit and most often like will re like rebuke the idea of change at all costs so if your growth and your change might really be upsetting to some people at first you know yeah, yeah. um 
one of the other tweets we have is from a group called We're Not Really Strangers, and they actually have a new card game out that I'm actually super interested to check out. But they tweeted exactly what you're saying. Your growth isn't always supported. It's more often criticized. And I was thinking a lot about this in different situations that we've talked about. I honestly wonder sometimes, and even back to like Jada Simone that was, or Jade Simone, that was saying, you know, that that person didn't think she would ever become a doctor. I wonder sometimes if people don't criticize our growth because they're jealous in a sense, or they don't see themselves as having made as much progress. That could be possible. I would think so. But um, what are some ways you can work through, some tangible ways you can work through that lack of support that often looks like criticism? Um, well, I guess the first thing I'd want to say is that like what people think of you is really none of your business. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds really cliche and I know it's a quote that floats around, but it's true. And what is your business is to show up in kindness, to behave in a way that you're proud of, regardless of your circumstances and hold up your own values. Um, but I've come to a place in my life where I have very few opinions that I actually care about. Um, I think just as a creative, we have to come to this point or we'll be eaten alive. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I actually kind of learned a really important lesson from Brene Brown, which I know is your girl, my queen She's your girl, um, about, she does this thing and she does this lesson where she talks about like the one inch square piece of paper and you write on this one inch square piece of paper, the names of all of the people whose opinions matter to you. Right. So I've done this. And if the person's name isn't on that list, I can't let their opinion get to me, whether it's good or bad, right? The people who are busy doing the work just don't have time to judge. And so if someone is going to take the energy to like blindly criticize without making the effort to fully understand, that tells me that they're not busy doing the work. And therefore, eh, I mean, like criticism can hurt, sure. And I'm by no means above that at all. But I know that people, the people on my square inch piece of paper are going to be brutally honest with me. And I run pretty much all things through that filtered system before anything makes it out into the world. So if something is good, they're going to tell me. If something is bad, they're going to tell me. And those people, those like four or six people on that list matter. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, I have to do my best to hear it, see it, catalog it, do what I can to like use it for growth and change if it's relevant and then kind of like toss it out. What do they say? Like when you eat the fish, spit out the bones, like yeah. you can't, you can't cling to those types of things, especially because a lot of times people are, I heard something recently and actually I think it was Selena in one of her interviews <laughs> that said this, that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And so if someone is going to take the time to criticize without really taking the time and the effort to leave constructive criticism, right? Like to leave something constructive, then I pray for their heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. I, as much as I love Brene, I did not know about this piece of paper. Um, that's awesome. Um, Which also means you're not really consuming my content and I am offended. Maybe I did know about it. I can't retain anything. <laughs> uh, 
So another tweet kind of in line is from uh, Judy Moody and she tweeted, someone can be disagreeing with you just because they have a different personal experience, but that doesn't take away any value from your own experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really big. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to when we feel that criticism um, or that, I guess, lack of respect of our growth and change. I think it all kind of falls in line with that. How do you protect your experiences but remain true to who you are in your growth? I very much practice what Amy Poehler preaches about good for you, not for me when it comes to a difference of opinions or experiences. So I try to keep that front of mind when I find myself like in a disagreement, especially when it's likely due in part to a difference in experience. Our experiences 100% inform our perspective on things and more than one thing I know this is going to be shocking, but more than one thing can be true when you keep that in mind. <laughs> yes, there are definitely situations where like there's a clear right and wrong, but in many like but in many situations it's way more muddled than that. And so how I perceive a situation is probably very different to how like you perceive a situation simply because of we've had very different experiences throughout our lives, right? But I can respect that. I can understand that we have different experiences. And it's always my hope that others can too. Everything really just kind of boils down to this sense of understanding and respect, right? Yeah. Um, Kyle Benson is a guy that writes a lot about um, relationships, specifically around the, the subject of intimacy. But... Mm. He says that we often hide our darker sides from others, things like our pains and our fears and our insecurities. But he went on to say that when you hide in the darkness of your mistakes, imperfections, and shame, you hide the light of your beauty. Mm. And I, I liked what he said because he said you're responsible for opening up and sharing the good and the bad with your circle. And he said if you minimize or pretend it isn't there, you're neglecting your own tribe of the opportunity to truly connect with you in a profound way that allows them to be there to celebrate the wins and to support you in your struggles. And I think this is huge. And this is actually something I really struggle with. Um, but I guess my question first is what are some things that would look different in your own life if you prioritize the responsibility of opening up as he talked about? Um, this kind of connects to, I guess what I was saying earlier about making sure that I'm doing my part to show up in the way I want to be seen. A lot of my relationships, uh, would stand to look very different for sure. Especially, you know, my relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm absolutely guilty of not always opening up, uh, in the right ways to the right people. Take for instance, like my relationship with my husband, I said, you know, we've been together, uh, half of our lives. And I mean that mathematically, that's not hyperbole. Um, and it can get exhausting trying to continue to show up and to be seen, to open up, especially if you feel now is, you know, how you feel now is like quite different to how you used to feel. Mm -hmm. And it's also easy for either one of us to assume that the other should just know us exactly yeah. as we are right now in this exact moment, no questions asked, but that's just not the case. You have to do the hard work that Kyle Benson 
talks about of cracking yourself open to share those things with the people you want to actually know you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, uh, my relationship with my husband. We did not meet as children as you did, but, uh, mm. most of, people don't. <laughs> one of the things that he has said to me before, and I didn't really know how to take it. And you know, in those defensive moments, of course, I took it as an insult, but of course he's said before, like, I don't understand what happened to like the strong independent woman that I was, I married. And I've been like, what the heck is wrong? Like, why would you say that? But I think it's because that when we were dating, I never really let on to like, I don't know, insecurities or fears or certain things, or, you know, I was always super independent. I got it. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that because you're in that dating kind of honeymoon phase. And now that we're married, I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> like, it'd be nice if you did these things. And so, I mean, I think it's just a, you know, it's a part of growing up together and growing older together. But one of the things we actually recently had a fight about was I have this phrase that I somehow in marriage adopted, um, that I would say to him, yeah, but you should trust my heart. Oh, and it would come up in situations where we would be in some kind of argument or disagreement or full-blown fight. And it would be because he took something I said a certain way, or I took something he said a certain way. And I would always say, yeah, but you should know my heart. Like you should know I'm not trying to hurt you or I don't. Mean I think it. that's a fair thing to say. And we actually got in a fight about it though, because he was like, but you know, things can change, you know, just because I know you felt this way about something a year ago doesn't mean you still do today. Right. But I don't think that's what you're saying. I think, I think there can be a difference between feeling differently on a certain situation than the kindness of the core of your soul. Yeah. Like you are the kind of person, and I feel like I've gotten to really know you over the course of the last several years. Thank goodness for that. You've been a very good friend to me, but I, I would argue that if ever a situation came up where it might seem like you're being mean spirited, I feel like I could very easily give you the benefit of the doubt that I must have misunderstood something because you're not even the kind of person that like would participate in catty gossip much to my dismay, <laughs> but like your heart is, is, is kind and it's, it's, it's gold. And I think that's a fair thing for you to say, to say like, but you should know my heart that I'm not trying to be mean spirited here or to hurt you out of sport. Yeah. And I think that like the crux of what I am saying in that statement is, is definitely what you're saying. I think the way he has seen it and it could possibly be true as there's been time due to a different inexperience, right. That I would use it as kind of a, um, almost like a scapegoat to like get out of the tense tensity of a conversation, you know, to be like, well, oh yeah, but you should just know my heart. But I, I just think that, that he's right to call you out on that. Well, now let's not get carried away. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put my life coaching hat on here. <laughs> but I think all of that, all of a relationship is based on is vulnerability. And I think that 100%. is actually something that I, struggle with so much. And I don't really know why. Um, I guess I need a few more years of therapy, but, um, you were going to say I need a few more cocktails. Oh, well that too. I could be very vulnerable then, but, um, 
No, so my Joe and Joey, as you know. Well, yes, half a beer, and she'll tell you everything you ever need to know. But uh, everything. <laughs> so my queen, Brene Brown, she mm. said that vulnerability is the first thing I look for in you, and the last thing I'm willing to show you. In you, it's courage and daring. In me, it's weakness. And this can most definitely be like my life quote. Okay. Because I definitely look for that very quickly in people. Uh, not vulnerable. Do you? Well, I was just going to say, that could be misconstrued. Not vulnerability in like, can I take advantage? But No, I don't. No. I didn't mean that way. Yeah. But um, I do look for it very quickly in people to see, because I think there's a sense of it that brings some genuineness to a person. Mm-hmm. Um, Real connection. Yeah. And I am very slow to show it. And I do sometimes catch myself like, okay, this is not a weakness. And that's something that my husband has to work through all the time. Like she sees this as a weakness. Keep trying, you know? Um, but you wrote a blog back in 2018 that is super applicable today. And especially to this topic, your post was called stop waiting for the world to tell you you're enough. And you wrote, I didn't feel like a person. I felt like a discounted version of a human, a knockoff that people tolerated, but ultimately passed over for the real thing. And I thought that was all there was. Can you give us some context, first of all, to this sad, sad story? Um, well, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, just, I... I don't really know where that belief came from. I'm sure it comes from like a cocktail of different experiences. Um, But I just didn't really ever believe good things about myself. Right. And everyone else around me was out there doing really big things and succeeding in whatever that means, like whatever succeeding means, especially as you're growing up. But like, they were getting into colleges and they were getting good grades on classes and everywhere that I just seemed to struggle. And then we graduated and I was like hopping from job to job to job because I just like couldn't find anything that made sense to me. And I, re- it, it, I hate to say this, but it really wasn't until more recent than I'm proud of. We'll say that. That I really started to see myself as somebody that mattered, that like somebody that could have a voice and make an impact. And not that those things are important, but sometimes feeling heard and feeling seen can help you start to show up also. Like you have to show up first, but sometimes those things are what can make you feel like you can. Like that teacher I had back in element or in high school, right? That like, I was wearing this like cloak of giggly invisibility and he saw something in me and that only flickered for just a moment because then I graduated. I went to college where like I was in creative writing classes with, you know, people who wanted to be the next Faulkner (laughs) and I wanted to write the next beach read. Yeah. So it was very much just like the situation of just trying to, I guess, like, find my place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think that you can pinpoint anything that helped change that perspective, that there was more to you than X, Y, or Z? Yes. 
Okay, I should have asked that question differently. Can you please expand? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I like to be a smart aleck. Um, no. I don't know what it was that changed it. Like, I can't, I can't, and because I can't, the only thing I can explain is maybe that it was God. Yeah. Um, but I didn't start to find my value and my worth and realize that, like, hey, wait a minute here, like, I'm actually maybe quite good at some things, um, until I started to just do things. Yeah. Like, I wanted to write the book, I wrote the book. I didn't really care what came of the book. I just wanted to write the book. And then much to my surprise, people freaking loved it. And I still don't really understand that. I still question it to this day, because who am I to have written a book? I don't know. I only majored in creative writing in college, but still, like, who am I to have written a book and to have a book that people actually enjoyed? I mean, and it's funny because, like, I, I often really second-guess that. You know, you've bullied me about the second book many times. And my sister said to me, she's like, the book only has five-star reviews on Amazon. Like, what more validation do you need? Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. But in your head, that can be a very muddled place. Yeah. Um, but it was when I started to like, started out on the like entrepreneurial, entrepreneur, I've had too much of this Sprite cocktail mix. Easy for, easier for you to say. Come on now. Entrepreneurial journey <laughs> that I started to kind of, I don't know, like test the waters on how I felt about all that kind of stuff, if that makes sense. I guess like when all that started, I just kind of had to like start respecting myself as a person, right? Like I know my experiences over the course of my life are like much to blame for the perspective that I had, but I just had a moment of clarity that it's not really up to anyone else to make me feel like a real person, right? Like it's really not up to someone else. God created me just as I am. And my square peg might not fit into some of the round holes that people were trying to force me into. And it was a long prod process, but as I kind of like started to allow myself to explore my worth and value, those things came pretty easily to me, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, there's an Albert Einstein quote that if I could tattoo it on my body without my husband divorcing me, I would. Um, <laughs> but it says, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life believing it's stupid. And if that doesn't perfectly describe my life up until a certain point, when I started to let myself run down the paths that felt good to me, that felt right, I started to experience like my own value, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was literally born to be a creative entrepreneur, to be a life coach, an author, a creative in general, but I kept trying to shove myself into places that I didn't belong. Yeah. Um, so no wonder I felt like a discounted version of a human. I wasn't allowing myself to be the full counted version of a yeah. human because I kept discounting myself to try to like fit in these places that other people had kind of like paved the pathway to of that, you know, yeah. I, it's not something I'm proud of, but I think a lot of us do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I always say, Erin and I talk about this a lot. I always say that everything in life comes back to how you were raised good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, no matter, no matter what, no matter what your upbringing is, your background, your birth order, your family dynamic, none of that. It all comes back to that. And I think that there's a lot of good that can come from that. 
but I think it's so important that you actually own that and realize it and accept it and mm-hmm. not just acknowledge it. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Kyle Benson tweeted, uh, there are a few scenarios in which we truly need to defend ourselves. Rather, we are mostly driven to do so by the desire to be right. We are held within the grips of the ego, which acts as a barrier to authentic communication and connection. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking there's probably a lot of listeners who've, you know, maybe they've waited an entire lifetime for their siblings or their parents or their, you know, their community to really know them. Um, as they're becoming something different than they were as a kid growing up. Um, what kind of encouragement would you give them to defend their growth and not their desire to be right in that moment? Oof. <laughs> That's You're a hard welcome. one because I've, I've struggled with this a lot myself lately, which I know, you know, because you are the person that I'm talking to through these things, but it all ties back to like what I just keep saying. It's your responsibility to show up and to behave in a way that's congruent with your core values. Those in our life have an equal responsibility to make the investment in our relationships, just as you make the investment and the effort to kind of keep and to keep that relationship and to continue to like know them as they truly are. Um, And a lot of times that looks like conversation and understanding. Maybe it even looks like discussions and arguments. Um, And it can really hurt when we feel like a parent or a sibling doesn't really know us. And that hurt can cause us to feel really defensive and argumentative, which sadly only discounts the growth and change that we've made, you know? And so I guess if I needed to encourage anyone, I would encourage you to do your best to understand that they may have just forgotten to make the effort to continue to know you. Uh, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but like familial relationships and even long-standing like best friendships or your spouses or whatever are wonderfully comfortable. And a lot of times we take refuge in the ease of those types of relationships, which is a really good thing, but we can sometimes forget that they actually take real work to evolve and maintain. And so if we just kind of like nestle in to the comfort of them and stop putting in the effort to be seen that's where discord can kind of take place if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. I know personally, we've talked a lot about what the world deems as valuable um, Mm. in a whole lot of situations, whether it's your work or your life or just your own journey. Um, Joshua Johnson, he's actually a new newscaster with MSNBC. He posed a question on Twitter that I am going to pose to you today. Okay. He put, Curious, and of course, it comes back to Brene Brown as all all roads do. <laughs> Brene and Selena. Yes. Um, well, that's a combo. Uh, probably a combination that doesn't exist anywhere else. Right. <laughs> bringing new stuff to the world, people. Um, so Brene writes about focusing your core values down to two. Uh, mm-hmm. Joshua Johnson says, for him, he values many things, but the essence of all of them is freedom and growth. So what about you? If you had to boil it all down to two kind of overarching values like he did, what would they be? Okay. I value a lot of things and I feel like I'm probably guilty of valuing too many things and make that very unfair for people. But if I had to pick 
two, uh, they would be commitment and integrity. I like that. I can see that. Okay. Um, you are someone who coaches creatives in a lot of areas. I've been a client of yours on more than one occasion. Um, dream client. <laughs> yes, of course. I'm just a dream <laughs> being, but, um, <laughs> how do you encourage your clients to place value on their work when the ro world around them may not? Okay. Whew, I gotta put my coaching hat on for this one. <laughs> Bring it. Here's the thing. You have to value yourself and take yourself seriously before anyone else ever will. And that can be really hard, especially as you're first getting started. You can feel like no one is paying attention. <coughs> Mandy. <laughs> no one is seeing all this hard work you're putting in. But I promise if you continue to do the work, if you continue to take yourself seriously and show up, those around you will start to follow suit. I often say this, that like you have to first validate yourself in order to show others how to validate you. Like we've had this conversation, you and I many times, and I, I, we talked about this briefly on my podcast earlier this week, yesterday, today, yesterday. I don't know what that is. Anyway, we <laughs> spoke about this recently that you had, when you first started the podcast and there was like, uh, you were a little disappointed in the first numbers that you were seeing and you're showing them to me. And I'm like, what are you disappointed about? Like, what, where were your expectations? You're showing up, you're allowing yourself to be seen. And if I'm honest, like I'm going to, I'm going to expose you a little bit here. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but like, as, as your creative coach, I have to say that like, this podcast is you showing up in the most in the way that is most congruent with who you are as a person, it is your creative juices just completely realized, right? Like it's all of the things that over the years you've been saying you want to do and you want to see come to fruition and you just got out there and you did it. You allowed yourself to show up and be seen in a way you wanted to be seen and look at what is happening, right? You validated yourself. You showed up. People are paying attention. That's good, right? Yeah. Because all right. And when it comes down to like getting to a place where you can kind of feel that in your soul, especially when you're first starting out, when nobody else is paying any attention to you, your passion was laid on your heart for a reason, right? I know not everyone is a believer, but I am. And I don't believe that God makes mistakes. And while there may be others out there doing exactly what you're doing, they're not you. They aren't doing it in the way that you're doing it because each and every one of us are 100% unique and what you're doing, what you're producing, your approach is all unique and it's valuable and it's important. Everyone isn't the right fit for everyone else. So imagine that there are people out there who are simply waiting for you. They don't connect with anyone else other than you. So they're waiting for you, exactly you, to do the thing. They're relying on you and you alone. So if you don't show up and allow yourself to be seen the way that you want to be seen, if you don't show up and do the work that you want to do, in the end, you're kind of letting these people down, right? And you don't want to do that. So you have to first validate yourself. And if you just like allow yourself to like burst through the doors and like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. If you don't do that, someone can't see you that way, right? Yeah. You have to do that first. Yeah, I, um, 
Steve Case, he's the co-founder of AOL, um, mm -hmm. which for the young ones in the audience is what we used to have when we had dial-up internet. Um, everybody had an AOL yes. instant messenger. I actually met somebody the other day that still has an AOL email address. and I didn't even know that would still work. My father went to his grave with his AOL email address. <laughs> it's just mind, it's mind blowing. Can I ask you, what was your AIM screen name? Mandy Lou LU83. Mine was lots to smile about. Oh, ma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ma. Okay. Uh, and it was spelled really funky. Uh, funny story. That was also my customized license plate when I turned 16. Oh, yeah. That's right. Okay. Back Mine was uh, a Joey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's back before we had to be fearful of the entire world. But, um, you know. Of course. But Steve Case, um, he also quoted Brene Brown. See, everyone does. What the cool thing. just brilliant. He said, we only judge and put value on people's behaviors in areas where we believe sometimes we're not enough. And I think that's what I was referencing earlier, that I wonder sometimes if people that keep us in the bubbles that we were in as kids or, you know, a few years back, if they're not in a sense jealous or just seeing something they're missing in their own life but what are some ways we can flip that narrative even if it's just in our own head to use criticism or judgment or misappropriate bubble placement <laughs> just mm -hmm. around us differently mm. okay so i have a different perspective here okay I can absolutely see the point that Brene is making, and I agree with it to a degree. Um, but oh as a one Enneagram, <laughs> I find that I am most judgmental in the areas where I feel like I am putting in the work, and it ends up frustrating me when others don't. Okay. But all of it like i mentioned before boils down to respect and understanding and those things take effort and work so we have to work hard to give those around us grace especially when we find ourselves wanting to judge and as far as using their like behaviors as motivation i suppose or like the fuel to get moving past those feelings of judgment right yeah. Well, there are a few ways to do that. Oftentimes, uh, we have to um, kind of remember that when someone presses into something that makes us feel judged or misunderstood, um, it stirs up a lot of emotion, right? And so uh, creative work can be a lot of different things. But in my line of work, there are a few ways that I can use that sort of thing, I guess, right? And trying to use it in a way that makes it productive instead of just letting it seep in my soul as like nasty poison that makes me want to like go fling myself off a bridge because <laughs> judgment never feels good. Yeah. Um, but I can either kind of gain perspective and understanding from it uh, of those that might be different for me to kind of help me show up a little bit better as a coach Mm -hmm. or um, I'm kind of able to use it when I'm creating a program uh, to find a way to relate to those who might be a little bit different than me. Um, most recently, uh, this wasn't from like a situation where I felt judged, but it definitely was from a situation where as a type one Enneagram, like I can't possibly wrap my head around 
the decisions some people are making. Um, and as a person, they're different from me in a many, in a lot of ways. Um, I've chosen to use that as, as fuel for a character that was seeming very one dimensional in my book. And so yeah. I'm going to take qualities. I have, I've been told before by people who like are beta readers or like initial editors of my work that I tend to make my characters a little too nice. <laughs> yeah. And because it's not in my nature to be mean. And so like, I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I want everyone to be like smiley and happy and wonderful. Um, so I'm able to use these things sometimes like the people that I would ordinarily judge. I just turn them into a book. So there's there like go. an actual, like, I think there's like a shirt out there. That's like, careful. You uh, watch how you behave. You might end up as one of my characters or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's very true in my life. That with you, that is the fear. No, um, it is the fear. Speaking of one of my favorite characters, um, there is a new, well, new-ish Canadian drama television series um, called Anne with an E. That's based mm -hmm. on the 1908 novel Anne of Green Gables. Um, it's a really great show. Um, but Sharon Hody Miller. Um, it's so good. Um, Sharon Hody Miller, uh, is actually a minister in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, hey. I know. Sounds familiar, huh? Um, but she tweeted, there's a scene in the latest season of Anne with an E in which Matthew gives her a bracelet symbolic of the Anne she is today and quote, all the Anne's she will be. And Sharon tweeted, and I loved this so much because it captures one of my hangups about the language of a true self. Um, and if you've never read Anne of Green Gables, this probably doesn't mean as much to you, but the love story between Matthew and Anne is so good. But um, I struggle a lot with the term true self. Um, I guess because it, it feels like fixed and unchangeable and this thing that you just have to find and then like you found it and you own it and that's just all you'll ever be. But I right. get the idea and the theory behind it. It's just more of that like self-discovery, but what are some ways we can help those around us to overcome their personal hangups in on being their true self and owning who they've become in your Yours. So like you, I kind of like reject the idea of a true self being this like fixed thing. Um, but I do believe that we all have a true self at any given moment. Now it's most definitely fluid and it's ever changing and it can sometimes be hard to keep up with, especially during, I would say like times of rapid growth, which like for me was pretty much the season of my life between like 28 and 32. I don't even know if I knew who I was on a given day at that time because I was changing so rapidly and there was just so much life that was thrown at us so quickly. And I basically turned my entire life on its ear within those years. Um, but ultimately I think that you get, as long as you get like super clear on your core values and you keep a regular audit of them, making the tough decisions about, you know, like what fits and what doesn't, and you stay committed to showing up and behaving in a way that is congruent with those core values, then you'll always be the true version of your true self, if that makes sense. Like you have to just, it comes down to really knowing who you are in any given season of your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think that, um, I think that's one of the things that you're really good at in your business and in your podcast and just everything that you, you do and that you put in the world is helping people to remind themselves of who they are today and like mm -hmm. what circumstances or experiences or whatever have prepared them for who they are today. Um, right. which is super important. And I think that that is one thing that millennials, which I hate the word, I hate the term, the connotation, the whole thing. But I think that is something we all struggle with. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's, I would agree our, with that. I don't think it's because our parents did something wrong necessarily. No, but I just don't think that they had the wherewithal to know what we were going to, what the world would be like when we were. I, I, I could agree with that wholeheartedly. I think there was so much about the way we grew up that is so different than any other generation before it. Yeah. And especially like I mentioned this in our, in my, in the episode we did together for my podcast that I would argue that we're elder millennials um, <laughs> because we grew up in a time where there wasn't internet and then there was internet. And so our parents were discovering this thing at the same time that we were, and then also trying to parent us through it, but we didn't quite understand yet what it was and how it was going to present itself in our lives. Yep. Like if you had told me when I was nine years old that my entire job would be on the internet, I would be like, that's the internet. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. There's no way to know what that was, you know? Yeah. Now we just spend our days trying to help our parents understand how to work the internet. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And I actually like, I was mentioning this before, and this could also be part of like the whole true self concept is like, remember AIM? which we were just discussing before, like the away message of, away message of it. Uh, we used to use a term called BRB. Yep. And it meant we'll be right back. Like if you had to go to the bathroom or if you needed to go get a snack or like you were going to your music lesson or whatever it was. Um, we don't BRB anymore. We're just we live there. here now. Yep. We just live here. And I think that the noise of it all can kind of mess with what you believe to be true about yourself. Like I've taken several like social media, like, detoxes some on purpose some not on purpose and there's something really powerful about like just existing in the here and now and like the IRL of everything to remind you that like you are a person who takes up space and you're not just like screaming into a void of nothingness yeah well that kind of leads me to what I want to wrap up with um all of that takes design and not to play on words do you have a podcast mm -hmm. called Joyful by Design? Um, tell tell our friends here on Tweets and Tonic. Can you tell us about your podcast and what's your sure. intent with all of it? Yeah, um, I guess ultimately it's just this reminder that life gets really busy, and in this season of our lives, like I'm 33. I had to think about that for a second. Um, I'm 33. I'm married. I have a job. I'm running a business. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm all of these other things. And from the moment we wake up in the morning to the time that we close our eyes, like we're just going right. And we, we kind of just get lost in the monotony of everything. And we forget that like we're allowed to kind of design how we experience our days. We forget that we're allowed to put intention behind what we're doing and how we're showing up and the relationships that we have and the things that we're doing for fun. And 
I just wanted something out in the world that made people feel a little bit seen. And like you were talking about before, like to remind them that they are a person right here, right now, and to get to know who that person is, because it is a culmination of like who all the people you've been in the past, but this person you are right now is the foundation for everything that you want for your future. And so, yeah, that's pretty much, that's where the podcast came from. Well, it's a really great show. Um, and everyone should definitely check it out. It drops every Monday unless Joey loses her voice. It happened only once. And I'm still recovering. <laughs> um, but one of the other things I wanted to give you time to talk about is um, what you do. We'll say what you do for your day job. Uh, <laughs> you can check out Joey's website at joeyhodgeswrites.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find Joey on the socials at Hey Joey Hodges. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you have a really generous offer for the Tweets and Tonic listeners um, for your 30 Days to Boundary program. Tell the good folks all about it. Sure. So I created this program because I'm a recovering people pleaser. And uh, what your listeners might not know is I had a really devastating bout of burnout back at the end of 2017. I was just going so hard and doing my best to show up for everyone the way that they needed me to and doing all the things for all of the people that I just like stopped paying attention to myself. (laughs) And that can be a really, really disastrous thing. And that's actually uh, what inspired me to get my life coaching training. And once I was equipped with all of this training, a lot of the things that I experienced in that started to become very crystal clear on how to like avoid it in the future. And I discovered that boundaries were the missing piece of my life. And I'm, I'm aggressively obsessed with boundaries and I'm a huge fan of them. And I think boundaries are basically the thing that we all need to design the life that we want um, and to kind of show up as the kind and generous soul that we want to be without being taken advantage of. And so this program is, how to establish those things custom to your own life in exactly 30 days. And you are generously giving us a code of one, all one word burnout rescue uh, to get this entire program for just $37. And that's a big mm-hmm. discount. And um, you really can't place a value on something that's going to help you through those kind of times. And so Um, I would very much encourage the audience to go purchase that, check out your podcast, follow you on all the socials. Don't be creepy. And (laughs) do be creepy. You you need to know anything about Selena Gomez. You can just tweet to Joey and she will get you all the information you need to know. All of it. (laughs) I'm a big fan. That is it. Um, Thanks for coming on the show today, Joey. Thanks. As we do with every podcast, we would like to highlight the work of a company that we believe is doing good in the world. Today is no exception. Uh, Joey is very passionate about uh, helping kids who have aged out of the foster care system. And as such, she has chosen for us to highlight the Jim Casey Youth Initiative, which is a part of the Ann E. Casey Foundation. The Jim Casey Youth Opportunity Initiative is a systems change effort that works at the local, state, and national levels to advance policies and practices to most effectively 
meet the needs of young people transitioning from foster care to adulthood. The Jim Casey Initiative works to ensure that young people ages 14 to 26 who have spent at least one day in foster care after their 14th birthday have equitable access to the resources, relationships, and opportunities they need to achieve positive well-being and success as they transition into adulthood. To learn more about their organization, please visit aecf.org. And with that, thanks for tuning in to Tweets and Tonic. Please like it, share it, review it, tell your friends all about it. Uh, We appreciate so much all the listener support, and we look forward to bringing you more great content. Um, Make sure that you go like and follow all of Joey's stuff and check out her podcast, Joyful by Design, as well. Cheers, y'all, and go do some good.